On? Hi, hi, people online. I do still have a voice. I'm sorry about that. My bad. Uh, I, way too many ons and offs today. I completely messed that up. Sorry. Um, so why did I, I, I randomly saw that uh, one day last week, and I was like, oh, I've got an idea for this. Now, you might have watched that story and thought, man, it seems like there's something missing from that. Yes, CBS News doesn't believe in God. Did you notice? There was no mention of God. If you go back and you watch the local news story and you watch the local news story because Houston picked it up and so they showed it in Houston too, the story's all about God because that young man, of course, plays in his church worship band and his father's a pastor and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on and on it goes. You see, it is a miracle. It is a gift from God. And so then I went and I started doing research. I started stalking online that piano tuner. I'm like, this is, that guy's got to be a person of faith, doesn't he? Like, he's got to be. He has to be. There's no way he's not. He saw that story online, and he was compelled by the Spirit of God to move and do this, but I couldn't find any resources, so I can't speak to that as truth. I'm just saying it almost has to be. Here's why I share that with you. You might not have $15,000. Your father might not have passed away and left you a big old bunch of money where you can buy a kid a grand piano and give him lessons and tune his piano. You're right. You might not have that, but do you have an hour on a Sunday morning that you can invest in kids downstairs? Do you have an hour during the week that you can invest in a child over at Forest Park Elementary School reading with their class or working individually with a student? Do you have an hour that you could do that? Maybe you do have resources. Maybe you do have financial resources, and in the not-so-distant future, God's going to present an opportunity not for you to provide a grand piano, but to provide, who knows, a life-changing opportunity for students within this community. Are you willing to answer that call? Are you willing to listen to that? Are you willing to allow God to pull on your heartstrings and allow you to move in those ways? Because caring for children is one of our absolutely things that should compel us in this life. It's an instinct that God gave us adults to care for children, especially children in need, but all children. We just illustrated that a moment ago, and we get to illustrate it again here in just a few moments together? Would you pray about those opportunities in your life? And watch the rest of the story. Look up the Colorado. You'll find it. Autistic boy plays piano, Colorado. It'll pop up four or five YouTube videos right away. Okay? He's all over the place. But how special it is that someone saw a need, saw an opportunity unbeknownst to anyone else and helped that kid out. Who's God calling you to help out? Every one of you is capable of helping someone in some way. Don't miss that opportunity. All right, let's pray before we dive into God's word. Father God, what a morning it has been already, and we're only halfway there. We're only halfway there. You, you are just, uh, I, there's no words to describe you. Uh, scripture is so accurate in that way. Father, continue to be with us. Open our minds, open our hearts. Make my words yours, please, 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 please. I don't want people to hear me. I want them only to hear you. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate, if you will, from God's Word, the importance of corporate prayer. Now, we're not talking about corporations, okay? We're talking about the gathering of the body of Christ and praying together. We need to understand, so probably if you weren't born and you're raised in the church, you might not understand how important this is supposed to be to the function of the church. As a part of this, I want the Spirit, I'm asking the Spirit to make sure that every one of us gets a little bit of extra encouragement this morning and that we're just a little more willing to take a step forward and participate in prayer. 
and a little bit more confidence in our prayers. Not just as an individual, but as believers gathered together with the purpose, the strict purpose of seeing God's glory demonstrated. Why are we talking about this? Well, here's the reason. We're talking about the transformational church. That's the title of this series. Prayer leads to transformation, folks. Absolutely it does. God desires for all of his churches to be praying churches. Within our midst, he's inspired just a few, just a few people to begin to start this ministry of prayer within this, this, this body of Christ. This, this group is going to pray for the church as a whole. This group is going to pray for the staff that's serving at this church. This group is going to pray for missions here, missions around the world. This group is going to pray for our community. This group is going to pray literally for the world. Honestly, there's no limit or scope to prayer, is there? Is there anything we can't ask before God's throne? Here's the really cool part. All of us will have to play a role of some kind in this ministry. Now, God might be calling someone listening today to help with the leadership aspect of it. I'm telling you, Lynn would really like some additional help just leading this group. It's not a whole lot to be in charge of. We just need, people need organization. They need people helping them, guiding them, directing them. We all do. We're sheep. Jesus tells us that quite frequently. So we need some help. God might be calling you to help with the leadership in this ministry. God might be calling you just to be a direct part of this ministry. For example, on Wednesday night, starting out with that and just coming and praying with that group and, and learning more about prayer in that way. But here's what's really cool. As this ministry really begins to get going and get organized, this ministry is going to give all of us, the whole body of Christ, and opportunities and many opportunities to come together and pray together. And we have to be a part of this. When these opportunities begin to arise, we all have to rise up and be a part. We cannot sit on the sidelines and let someone else do it for us. We have to be a part of this in order for the transformation that God desires to take place among all of us. I want to share with this with you today because corporate prayer, or if you want to call it group prayer, if you want to call it community prayer, it is absolutely as important, or more so, dare I say, than teaching and preaching within a healthy church. You see, praying is the, the, the praying together is the key that God often uses to open his presence and his work among his people in very unique ways. But here's the problem. The tendency among believers, even those in leadership, is to think of prayer in gatherings as kind of an extracurricular activity, like we might have a prayer meeting one day or one night or a prayer event of some kind. And we just kind of separate it all together and make it its own thing, just another activity in the life of the church, just another group to be a part of or a meeting, if you will, to attend. Oh, that's great that we have that at our church. I'm so glad that we have that at our church. But you know what? It's just not important enough for me to dedicate any time or energy to. Maybe as a church, you, you see things as, you know, prayer is really important, so we got to make sure we pray before we eat, or we got to pray before we meet, or we got to pray before we get down to the real business of whatever. No. No, the real business of whatever is prayer. <laughs> That's the priority, not the afterthought. 
Unfortunately, within our corporate gatherings, um, a lot of people view prayer as kind of optional, kind of secondary. It's really not that important. It's, it's routine. It's just part of what we do in service. It doesn't seem to be very personal or meaningful in the way we do it. And church, I can't tell you that couldn't possibly be farther from the truth. I, I joke with the worship man because I've been a part of this side of leadership for a long time, and so many churches just use prayer as a transition. It's just a way to get people on and off the stage. We pray so the praise team can up, so you're not all looking at them. No. If that's all you're using prayer for, I have a suggestion. Don't pray. Don't pray because it doesn't mean anything, okay? And I'm being serious. It's too important to just use as a transition piece within a service. We got to think of it that way. I want to let you know that God has sovereignly ordained corporate prayer within the church. That his mighty works, I know these are big words, that his mighty works increase exponentially and his purposes within the church are accelerated. They are ramped up when we are driven together in prayer. So I want to give you a few examples from the word of God from the early church that established the desperate need for all who are believers to come together and be a part of the prayer ministry and prayer gatherings and whatever other ways God manifests this among us within the church. Scripture shows us that praying churches are used by God to change the world. That's all. That's all. I think you can easily prove that, that praying together was very important for the apostles, for those original 12 and the people that were following them. Acts chapter 6, there's a story there that we often use to, to start um, talking about service within the church, serving one another within the church, but there's really a lot more to the story than that. They'd come up with this dilemma in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in those days, a number of disciples were increasing, the church was growing, and the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, were complaining that the Hebraic Jews, the original followers of God, have now become followers of Jesus. They were complaining because the widows of the Greek Jews were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They weren't getting fed as the Hebrew widows in the same way. The word used here is the word diakonia, which is the word we get the word deacon from. It, at its root, it means servant. That's its basic, basic. It's talking about serving people in need. So the 12 got together and they said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, don't think of that as a negative for a waiter or waitress. That's not what they're doing, okay? Not at all. Same basic word. The word is diakonian there, and it's the same root word as the word before, talking about serving other people. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose among you seven among you who are best known, are known to be full of wisdom and spirit. We'll turn over the responsibility to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Literally, verse 4 reads, but we, the apostles, the disciples, we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and the diakonia, service of the word. It will steadfastly continue, a literal translation of that Verse. Now, I growing up, and every time I've ever heard this passage preached, I've always, in my mind, this is what I've thought. That the disciples are saying, hey, we got to be so focused and intent in our prayer lives that we, we can't separate from that to, to go and serve in that way. 
So we need to delegate these ministry responsibilities so that we're going to be freed up for our personal prayer time and, and to receive this fresh word from the Lord. But that's actually not the point of this passage in any way, shape, or form. The apostles are not referring to their personal, private prayer time. They are referring to the ministry of mobilizing the people of God to pray together. They're marking out two specific ministries that they must focus on as church leaders. Let me show you within the text. The context of this passage revolves all around ministries. Verse 1 points out a problem with the ministry. Some people are being left out. Verse 2, the apostles discuss what ministries they've got to focus on and what ones they just can't focus on. And they've got to make the ministry of the word their priority. Verse 3 and 4, they instruct seven men to be identified from among the church to take the other ministry opportunity. Why? So they could focus on something very specific and very important. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Those two things are completely tied together for the apostles, for those early church leaders. Now, prior to this moment, Luke records several instances where the church is praying together. Go all the way back to the first chapter of Acts. What are the apostles doing with 120? They are all praying together after Jesus' ascension. What happens? You know, some little thing called Pentecost afterwards. That's right. Big deal. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 1, 24. They choose Judas's replacement. What are they doing? They're praying together for God's guidance. Acts 2.42, the entire new body of believers, everybody that has heard this word, this is one of the biggest things they have to be taught. They didn't just decide to do this. Someone showed them what was important. There were four things important to that early church, the early believers, to the apostles. What do they devoted themselves to? These four things. One, the apostles' teachings, the word of God. Number two, the breaking of bread together, fellowship together. And number four, prayer. Those were the four priorities in the early church. Let's see here. We're together right now talking about the apostles' teachings. We're giving you an opportunity to meet on Wednesday nights and continue talking about those apostles' teachings, the word of God. We're giving you a chance to fellowship together this morning, to come early, to eat donuts. We're giving you a chance to fellowship together on Wednesday nights. We're giving you a chance here in a couple weeks to break bread together beyond just communion and share a meal one another together. We're giving you opportunities to do that, and we're offering opportunities for you to get involved with the prayer life of this ministry. Sounds like we're trying really hard to be the church, doesn't it? We're trying, folks. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up, but we're trying. Acts 3.1 from last week, the passage from last week, if you hear, Peter and John find themselves going to the temple for prayer. Now, only a few of you got that. I know there were more than that here last week. Did you hear that? Only, wait, Peter and John are going to the temple for prayer on Wednesday? What were they thinking? It wasn't the church day. They're taking time out of their week to go pray together with other people. Oh my goodness, a special trip to church just to pray. Just saying, it's in there, folks. Acts 4, chapter 23. It's not my idea. I didn't invent this, okay? Listen to the power of prayer within these groups of believers. Peter and John had kind of been detained 
by the Sanhedrin. They went back to the people after they released. They reported everything the chief priests and elders had done to them. When they heard this, the people, they raised their voices together and prayed to God, Sovereign Lord, they first adore him. They remind him who he is. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do nations rage and people plot in vain? God, why are these things happening? They're asking, why are Peter and John being treated in this way? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's their prayer. God, allow us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Their prayers were answered. All of these are pictures of the apostles leading groups of people in prayer, setting the example. Not one of them points to the personal private prayer time of the apostles. Their focus was on God's people praying together. Now, you might ask, did the disciples pray alone? Yes, of course they did. Who was their model? Jesus. What did Jesus very often do? goes off alone to pray and spend time with his heavenly Father. This would have been a vital part of the apostles' personal spiritual lives, but it's not the focus of the early church. The focus was on the power of praying together. The apostles placed this high value on the people of God praying together. They considered guiding the corporate prayer, the group prayer life of the church as critical as preaching and teaching the word of God itself. The church seemed to follow the apostles' examples quite well. We find them praying together throughout the New Testament. We, we read in the book of Acts several examples. We already covered many of them. The original one, when the 120 were gathered, they were all praying together prior to Pentecost coming. The disciples prayed for wisdom in knowing who Judas's replacement was. Peter and John reported the Sanhedrin's threats, and God. they prayed to God for boldness in sharing his word, very specific in their prayer, and the place was shaken. The church prayed over those seven men we talked about in Acts 6. The church prayed over those seven men. After James, the brother of John, was martyred, Peter imprisoned by Herod, what did the church do? They prayed together intensely, and God miraculously released, delivered Peter from his cell. While the prophets and teachers were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit called some guy named Paul and Barnabas to go out on their first missionary journey. Paul and Silas were together in prison, and an earthquake happened as they were praying and singing. Now, that wasn't a big prayer gathering, but there were two people together praying out loud, singing out loud, and what happened? They were released in the prison garden, his whole family were saved. Don't hear this as a criticism of personal prayer time or a placement for personal private prayer time. It is not at all. Lots of New Testament examples of that happening. Ananias, most famously, was praying all alone when God said, hey, I got a job for you. I need you to go see Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is like, wait a minute. How about no? Um, do you know who he is, God? I'm just saying... 
Peter alone on the rooftop when he has the famous vision that leads him to the Gentiles, to a man named Cornelius to share the gospel. Jesus modeled that behavior for us throughout his ministry. The apostles absolutely would have demonstrated that for the people as well. It is a vital part of our individual, personal, spiritual life. It will help us grow more intimately connected with our God. It is absolutely essential, and many of us have great prayer practices individually. But we're unwilling to be a part of the group prayer, the corporate prayer for whatever reason. We cannot dismiss, discount, or de-emphasize the power and importance of praying together, whether it's two or three or hundreds. doesn't matter. The apostles, they prayed together for God's timing. They prayed for his will to be done, for empowerment according to his will, to do things his way. They watched Jesus, think of this as a disciple, you watch Jesus, some of them did in person, die praying. Die praying that God's will be done. That example was set for them in a way that they would not have been afraid of death. The apostles, the early church, they prayed very specifically. Now later on, Paul writes to us in Philippians 4, 6 to pray about what? Does anyone know that word? Everything! Paul says, pray about everything. Now, what, just real quick, what's left out of everything? Nothing. That's right. So there's nothing that you can't pray about to God, according to his will, to be done, of course. But there's nothing that you can't go before God and not be willing to share. He wants to hear whatever. But in that everything that we can pray about, God asks us to be very specific as well. As a matter of fact, there's nothing wrong with a prayer list to help you focus some of us need that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with praying for those that are in need, praying for those that are ill. Those are essential. We should do those things. But if that's all we pray about, if that's all that is on our prayer list are those physical needs of people that I'm telling you, we are not calling upon the full power of our God within our lives. We're not seeking his full will for us as individuals or for us as a church. If we're just praying down a list of names, that's essential. We must do that. But there's so much more that we should be doing. As a part of our prayer life, we should be lifting up praise to his name. You saw that in the early churches, Peter and John are released. What's the first thing they do is they pray a prayer of praise to their God before they ever ask anything of him. They pray a prayer of praise. We must cry out to God with our needs, yes. We must call to God for guidance and for direction in our lives. We must lift up the plans we think he's given us, and we've got to confirm those with him. We've got to ask for his blessing upon those plans for our lives we must pray for boldness like the early church. Have you ever prayed for boldness to speak the name of Jesus into people's lives? Now, many of us have prayed for opportunities, right? To share Jesus with somebody. We've prayed for those opportunities. But did we pray for the boldness that it takes to maybe make those opportunities happen? Do we pray for that boldness because that's a prayer God will answer? Absolutely, every time because that prayer leads to followers. It leads to people being brought home. It leads to salvation for those. When God gives us boldness as a church, can you imagine the things he will do among us? Can't imagine. 
the lives that he'll change, the spirits, the souls that will be saved. When we pray that prayer of boldness, doors will be open that only God can open. You might have said it yourself, that person will never, mm -hmm. unless God, <laughs> unless God. When we pray that prayer, you will be given opportunities to share your story of Jesus in your life with people that you never dreamed of. When you and I humble ourselves and come before him as the bride of, hold on, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's rewind. Let's go backwards. Let's go backwards in time. Just a moment here. Corporate prayer, crying out to God is not just a New Testament concept, folks. It's who God has called his people to be from the very beginning. The, most, the, the greatest example, I think, in all of the Old Testament comes as King Solomon is dedicating this gorgeous, amazing, incredible temple to God in Jerusalem. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. It's one of the most famous passages in all of the Old Testament. The Lord appeared to him, Solomon, at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then God continues on. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now that passage is often taken out of context. And in your hermeneutics class, you'll learn not to do that you got to learn about this passage and who he's talking to. And this passage was very specifically directed to the Hebrew nation, to the Jews. But one of the things you can do through hermeneutics is you look at that passage and you go, okay, the principles, who is God? Has God changed? Will God change? No. So are those principles, are those truths that lie within that passage still true? Yes. Yes, they are. So let me translate. If God's people, uh, the church who are called by his name, Christians, will humble themselves and pray. If we will seek his face and turn from our ways, I won't even throw the word evil in, just our ways, what we desire, and we will follow his ways, do you think by chance he'll hear us? <laughs> absolutely he will. Our God is faithful to the end. He absolutely will hear us from heaven. Do you believe he will still forgive our sins? Yes. Do you believe he will still heal our land? Yes. This is not a call for everyone to come to Jesus, folks. This is a call for his people to come to Jesus. That's what we need to do. Because I sure believe our God hasn't changed and he will still answer those prayers. The, apostle prayed, the apostles prayed specifically. They avoided any kind of uncertainty or confusion. When they prayed, everybody knew what they were asking God to do. We need to do the same thing. We need to ask God to help us, maybe to help us pray specifically. God, I don't know what to pray for. He will guide you. Matter of fact, the word says he'll even give you the words to say. It's crazy, but true. It's a demonstration. God, I pray specifically that the prayers I'm praying will somehow, some way bring glory and honor to you and it will allow other people to see, to demonstrate your glory and honor for them when they hear of these prayers and they see them being answered as well. Be sure when you pray for someone and that prayer is answered that you tell them that you were praying for them and that you saw God answer that prayer, especially if they're not believers. Because they'll think, well, that's crazy. 
You were praying for I'm not even a believer in that God, and you think God would heal me? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, because if his believers who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray, yeah, yeah, I sure will. Be sure to record your prayers if you're able. Record some of your prayers. Record when God answers them. Remind yourself. Build a testimony of the great things that God has done and is doing in your midst, the things you've witnessed for yourself, because they're awesome. And we're not going to remember them all because I forget things if I don't write them down. Do you? The apostles, they prayed with patience. This is the hard one. They prayed with patience, knowing that God could do all things and believing that no purpose of God's could be stopped. These were people, think about this realization. These were people that realized that God could absolutely deliver Peter into freedom. Or God could allow Peter to follow the same path as James and Stephen and be executed. We must pray in the same way with complete dependence on the sovereign will of our God. And we, the family of God, as we start this new year together, we want to do so in prayer. The year has just begun, although January is already half over for those that are counting Have we done so in prayer? Are we seeking the will of God for this body of believers and in our personal lives? We must seek his will. We must pray believing. We must pray listening. We must pray in silence sometimes. Did you know that? You don't have to speak all the time when you're praying. Prayer can just simply be a silent time between you and God, where we listen. Church, we're never going to become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are today. We will always be who we are until we begin to pray for God to change us. Keep these last two things in mind. When the disciples prayed, when Paul prayed, When the early church prayed, did God answer all of their prayers exactly how they wanted and exactly in that moment that they were praying? No. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. We have to be patient. We've got to wait for his answers. But here's the key. Patience doesn't mean do nothing. You see, we must ask God and act. We must pray to God and then pursue him. See, because if we're acting, if we're moving forward in response to Jesus' teachings, in response to his commands, then he's going to guide us in our prayer life. He's going to guide us toward the outcome that he alone desires for us. We have to keep doing the things that God has called us to do. We got to keep reaching out in the ways God is calling to reach out. Sometimes prayer, unfortunately, paralyzes the church. Well, we're just going to pray about that. Well, yes, you should be praying about that, but God didn't call you to pray and do nothing. We were joking earlier this week about the the, uh, the Great Commission where Jesus famously said, go and do nothing, right? No, (laughs) it was go, go, go. Yes, pray and go. And while you're going, pray. And while you're praying, go. And as long as we're following his will and his teachings and his desires for the church, we can't mess it up. He'll open the doors that need opened as they need opened. 
We've got to pray believing that he will do that. I've heard it said so many times at the churches I've been a part of, not here, but so many churches I've been a part of, this famous quote, and I'm just going to tell you, I, I promise, you probably won't mean to say it, but we might be in conversation in a meeting or something, talking about something real serious, and you might drop this quote. And when you do, I apologize in advance for the look I'm going to give you. I, I, I can't help it because I'm, I'm offended by this statement. Okay, just like when people say, I'll play devil's advocate. No, you never want to be on the devil's side. You want to take an opposing position, that's fine. But don't say you're on devil's side. I know it's an expression. But think about the expressions we use. Think carefully about saying those things. You want to be the devil's advocate in anything. People will say oftentimes in church meetings, and some of you have heard this, well, you know, we don't want to get ahead of God. Some of you are like, what? I'm serious about that. No, you're not. That's impossible. How could you get ahead of God? He's already in tomorrow and the next day. And he's already there. We can't beat God to the future, you see, folks, because he's already there. As a matter of fact, he's waiting for us to arrive with him. And he already knows the path that we're going to take to get to him. Church, here's the thing. Our path simply needs to be his path. That's our pursuit. That's our prayer. When we welcome him into our personal life to begin and continue that transformation, that's where it starts. Then we make him and his word the focus of that transformation that takes place within the whole church as the body of Christ. Then, then God will work through us to help transform anyone else that he brings this direction. God will work through us to help transform this community and, yes, even help transform others around the world. And so will you join us in that transformation. You see, we can't do it alone. We need God first and foremost, and we need other people by our side helping us in this transformation. We must be united in prayer to our God as a church body. It's so important that we realize that and that when we as the body of Christ get opportunities to pray for specific needs, specific things, to gather together and just pray prayers of praise to our God, we got to be willing to do that. Yeah, it'll take time. Yes, yes, is it worth it? Always, always. And something I don't do often enough, and I know I should, but I just don't mention it often enough, is the reality that, man, some of you guys have been hanging out with us for a long time now. That's awesome. I'm so excited you've been hanging out. We would love for you to be adopted into our family. We would love to make this a little more formal and actually adopt you into our family, be a part of our family of God, to be part of this corporate body of believers officially. Not that God can't use you on the periphery. No, absolutely he can. That's not it at all. But there might be something greater that God's calling you to within this body. And we want to know that. And we want to hold you accountable. We want you to hold us accountable as your leadership of this church. That's part of this deal that we work out together. And then, of course, the most important thing that we get to share every week is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men and these women giving us these examples of prayer, so devoted to prayer in that New Testament. Why are they so devoted to prayer? Because they know what Jesus did for them. And nothing was going to get between them and their Jesus. And prayer was that thing that kept them all connected all the time to that God that they couldn't see in person any longer. So many of them never even met. But the story of what he did for them so cut to their soul and changed their lives that they found a way. And Jesus opened that path to God for us to be able to speak directly to the throne of God I dare you to think about that for a moment. I dare you. And if your mind's not blown, you're not thinking hard enough. You're not. 
So as we pray here in a second and the band comes up, because they are going to, we'll have a, a traditional invitation song. I told you we got exciting things happening this morning. It's an incredible, incredible morning. But uh, God probably opened that door for some others as well. And so whether it's for you to come to know Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior for the first time in your life, man, we welcome you up front. Uh, there's plenty of room in the water behind me to allow that to happen. would love to share that with you today. If you're coming and you're like, man, it's time. It's time. We've been, we've been dating Bria for a while now. We've been dating. We've been you know, going out on Sundays. It's been good, but but I really like to make this commitment a little more serious. Awesome. We'd love to adopt you into the family, and, and we are the bride of Christ. A dating reference isn't inappropriate, just so you know, okay? We're preparing ourselves for the groom to come back and take us. Yes, we are. Awesome. If you'd like to join us in that, that's great. If you just want prayer, you saw a team of folks up here praying over baby Adeline and her family earlier today. That same team would love to pray for you today, whatever is going on. You don't have to share a thing. Whatever is going on in your life, they would love to pray for you. Father God, Father God, can we please for a moment pause and humble ourselves before you? I, 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 I take this for granted as well. Probably everyone in here does. The opportunity we have to come before the creator of the universe, the God of heavens, the God who sent his one and only son to die for me, that we can come directly before you and you literally hear us. You long for us to come to you in this way. You want us to pour out ourselves before you. You want to forgive our sins if we will just offer them up to you and ask. Father, you want to receive us into your family if we will just come and accept your son. You, you died so that we could come before you in this way and receive your son. Father, you open up this line of communication through your son directly to the throne of God so that we could bring anything anything to your ears, and you promise to hear us, and we must have faith and believe that you will answer according to your sovereign will. You alone are in control. You alone our God. Father, I pray that people allow your spirit to move among them today, that they don't resist whatever you are calling them to do any longer. Father, we love you as we worship in Jesus' name.